We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie joined by Mario Puig. We are back in the saddle here. We're going to be posting these every Wednesday from now up through the draft and potentially beyond. So, Mario, it's good to be uh, kind of back back uh, hosting with you, man. Yeah, it's been about, has it been two months already since the radio since stuff? The radio stuff? Yeah, yeah it's been, uh, it, that's pre-Stefan Diggs. I'm doing uh, so many important things that I can't remember anything like that, but uh, I assure you I've gotten a lot done since then, <laughs> however long it's been. Oh, me too, totally. I've, hey, I've learned how to like cut up gifts and stuff, so I mean, I'm, I'm really making progress. Yeah, you did that, and I made it, I'm starting to make a table in Microsoft Word today, so I might get it done this week even. There we go. Now, now we're talking. So we're cooking with heat here. Obviously, a couple of tech wizards, but we're also a couple of football guys, and we're going to be, uh, you know, again getting you all set and ready uh, for the draft every week through the lead up there. So I guess because we've we've been off air for a little bit, I wanted to just kind of catch everyone up 
a little bit of off-season primer, uh, the coaching carousel, and, and with free agency set to start uh, in the middle of next month, uh, I wanted to dive in with the coaching changes. First of all, um, I guess Arizona will we'll go a little bit alphabetical order to, to get us started here. So Bruce Arians is gone. Carson Palmer retired. So that it's a very new look, different look uh, Arizona team heading into 2018. And, I, and we still don't really have a great idea of what is what is this all going to come together as what did you make of steve wilkes the, the former panthers defensive coordinator uh getting that job so he's another understudy of ron rivera so like sean mcdermott was hired by buffalo last year wilkes was leaving the same position that mcdermott took and i think you're going to see him try to do in arizona what Dur- mcdermott did in buffalo which is to say they go to that ron rivera defense where it's press heavy four three they kind of make a living with their pressure live and die by the pressure um they got marcus golden and chandler jones playing the four three end spots if that is the case so it should work pretty well on defense the defense has a good amount of talent and uh beyond that it seems like um he would be leaving the he meaning steve wilkes would be leaving the offense mostly to the control of mike mccoy who was fired from denver but it's hard to tell you know how much he could be yeah, blamed there, there for how bad nothing they were you could do with that situation right so mccoy is going to be probably running that offense and recent years with philip rivers i would say like he's been one of the slightly more pass uh friendly kind of coaches so it'll be interesting to watch who they eventually take as quarterback it could be a decent spot especially if fitzgerald's back but yeah wilkes you think would switch them to a 4-3 defense they've been running a mostly 3-4 type of approach as as long as bruce arians has been there okay so so the their base set will be a little bit different on the defensive side of the ball and then what we'll get into what they might want to do draft wise uh coming up a little bit later in the show but overall relatively positive impression on on, uh, the hire it's hard to tell because i mean ron rivera seems to at the very least prepare his understudies well you know whether it's you know his ideas or rivera's that he's executing doesn't matter as long as it's working and mcdermott made it work so maybe it's a sustainable model and like i said they got chandler jones and marcus golden so they they have the tools at least to make a good defense but offense is a big question obviously with palmer uh, headed out right and uh you know the the rest of the defense uh you know you mentioned the front seven but in there's obviously patrick peterson tyron matthew as well but Deion uh, Buchanan. i think i think one of our sort of recurring themes throughout the nfl season uh, when we were doing the radio show was what they have in that in that secondary outside of the you know those kind of household names so they're probably going to need to be addressing that as well they need probably a second and third corner okay. uh, just as like a starting point <laughs> yeah. but yeah that's that's something that they might have to consider in the first round if they're not able to get a good enough quarterback option yeah so that the, their needs are pretty clear cut so it should be interesting to see where it goes from there uh let's move on to the bears this is one of those hires that um uh, you'll have to educate me on this a little bit more. I'm always skeptical when everyone just really, really loves a hire, um, just sort of out, of, not necessarily out of nowhere, but you know, oh, he's been, he, he like checks all the boxes for like your standard NFL hire that's always going to be lauded by the by the media types. It's like, oh, he's Matt Nagy, like he's been uh, working under Andy Reid for so long, uh, multiple spread, just using buzzwords to to really just kind of talk about this guy so i mean what what's like uh what's your impression what's your expectation what's the fit here well so nagy is interesting if you believe that he can basically emulate what guys like mcveigh and peterson have been doing like he's supposed to be sort of a newer 
breed sort of coach, not, you know, a dinosaur hire. Uh, he was particularly interesting because his uh the the takeoff of the chiefs offense last year coincided with the weeks that andy reed gave up play calling to Nagy, Mm -hmm. so that was a really good looking offense they finally started going deep to tyree kill they did it pretty aggressively actually and it unsurprisingly worked a lot better than those endless drag routes they were running for like the previous you know 22 weeks or whatever it was and He's probably committed to an up-tempo approach based on the hiring of Mark Helfrich as offensive coordinator. Like we know from his Oregon days that Mark Helfrich should not be allowed to like touch any buttons or anything. This is bad. But what it shows is like, I think Nagy at the very least wanted someone who would run up-tempo practices efficiently. And at the very least Helfrich can do that. He conducted practices basically for Chip Kelly for however long he was Mm -hmm. the offensive coordinator under Kelly at Oregon. So he being there seems to at the very least indicate like Nagy's saying like we're going to get your conditioning up and we're going to go no huddle uh we're probably going to do a lot of ambitious motion formations kind of like the the rams and the eagles have and the saints too so i think it's it's a commitment to at least running a lot of plays and conducting an aggressive offense which at the very least for fantasy purposes makes the bears a sleeper for me i like trubisky kind of quite a bit given his rushing abilities right and you know i think you know that there are some elements to trubisky's game that that are a little bit comparable to alex smith i think you could probably say that his arm is a little bit better but yeah much better uh, i think in terms of like the you know the mobility um factor like the sort of underrated um rushing yardage uh potential there and obviously trubisky a lot younger you know probably 10 years younger than alex smith he can Uh, withstand contact better than smith too so you might even see kind of like red zone run option concepts uh, run pass option concepts uh whereas with smith it was more like he scrambles to get away from the pressure and he can get away with that like four or five times a game like trubisky can kind of you know get some rushing touchdowns perhaps in fantasy okay and and you know again if if the bears I think the Bears are going to be addressing those skill positions uh, early and often throughout this draft, but I still think it's probably like a year or two away from from us, you know, definitively saying that the Bears have have like a discernible uh, core, core group of guys that, that you can point to, you know, outside of Jordan Howard that that are really exciting from a fantasy aspect you know outside of yeah fantasy. meredith was looking all right but his injury is pretty concerning right. and we don't really know what he might be able to do but uh, it seems like cohen and howard can at least be the foundation with uh, along with trubisky and i, th- I anticipate that kind of up-tempo run heavy thing like kind of a you know baylor kind of approach uh, run a lot of plays and especially base it on the ground at least until they get someone who, who uh you know other than adam shaheen can catch it all right uh, so but once they do that it'll be interesting and in the meantime i think in fantasy it's like the, the price tags on these guys might be so low that it's uh, a good value even if the product in real life terms isn't quite yet competitive okay i think that i think that's a really good way of framing it so we're going to move elsewhere in the division uh jim caldwell gone from detroit matt patricia obviously whatever famously, yeah the defensive coordinator it's for the, the jim Lions. bob cooter team yeah matt patricia's yeah like the, the whole novelty is like he looks looks like he's a mechanic but he's actually a you know brain genius a never been hired rocket scientist instead <laughs> oh wow amazing yeah. and oh wow yeah. and that defense was always good in new england too so uh, right. it's not like we were practical. talking about you know cam newton before cam newton kind of came back to being cam newton this year everyone was really worried about him they go up to new england and just shred patricia's defense they improved over the year to be fair but i I think it's just kind of clear like the the novelty exceeds uh the merit yes it's absolutely it's it's definitely one of those things well that's a classic case of anyone leaving new england 
Yeah, it's, it's, it feels like kind of like a Mike Singletary kind of hire where they're like, did you Whoa. hear about this thing he yelled at the guy? And <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, the coaching part. We forgot to see if he could do that. He wants winners. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Patricia's, you know, he, he might be a good, like, CEO-type coach who, who runs an efficient operation, but I don't see much reason to think his defensive credentials specifically are going to fundamentally alter the team, especially when Terrell Austin was running that defense all along, and he's probably at least a pretty good defensive coordinator and as, uh, as a ravens fan uh so terrell austin was the secondary coach when the, oh, okay. w- during the ravens Super turnovers in detroit always making turnovers so yeah I've, this might be a downgrade for their defense actually but the good news is it's like jim bob cooter seems to have enough suction in that town that patricia just didn't have the political capital to replace him right so that's good for stafford because stafford had a career year last year really turned a corner especially in terms of his road game play and uh you never generally want to see an offensive coordinator change after a franchise quarterback has a career year so uh, it should provide a stable foundation for the detroit offense and basically this team might not be fundamentally different from last year i, I could see that i mean and, and there really isn't a whole lot of reason to change and alongside with what you said about matthew stafford there i mean golden tate's still obviously a hugely productive guy marvin jones uh turned out to be you know from the nfl next gen stats uh one of the best like tight window receivers in the league so i mean he's still got it and he, he's got the good uh downfield ability as well Galladay's and, you, know, Galladay, you know he's he's gonna be stepping into year two so you would think patricia might get his hands on the running game a bit because Jim Bob so. Cooter, for however much he might have done for Stafford, doesn't. Uh, to be fair, they didn't have any good the personnel. Run, the run game is the redheaded stepchild of that offense. Yeah, and, and part of it is like we don't really know how much of that is Jim Bob Cooter's fault yet because the running backs there were terrible and the front office couldn't have handled that much worse. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Patricia understandably might kind of be like, you know, you run your passing game fine, but we're going to do something different in the ground game this year because last year definitely wasn't acceptable. And that would be, you know, that they'd be a great team that to you know like we were saying where they don't need a lot of wholesale changes in any one place except maybe the run game this is a very deep running back class maybe they could go attack that maybe like round two there's round no good three. excuse to not get a totally like clear running back yeah. upgrade over what they have so yeah we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later uh one of the more uh sort of publicly talked about uh coaching hires one that slipped through the cracks another patriots disciple that decided to go back to the mothership uh josh mcdaniels you know pulls back on his decision to go to indianapolis he seems pretty cool yeah totally just awesome guy and he was totally awesome before he kind of shirked his way back to new england um from from like the denver job right from several years ago yeah um so obviously he'll long-standing career being an awesome dude um so and all the actually clear positives in his history coincide with tom brady bill belichick team so you know he's good on his own oh completely it's definitely worth all the hype that he's attracted over the past 12 years but um yeah in, in any case this indianapolis one they hired frank reich did they get peer pressured into hiring frank reich i i think he was probably you know one of the clearly best options but I think it's a chump move by Reich to take that job because it's like, why do you think McDaniels got out? Because he heard like, oh, you're only like 50-50 on Andrew Luck's shoulder, huh? Well, that's interesting. I have this thing. And the rest of that roster. Yeah, terrible, terrible team. Jim Irsay's got to be a nightmare to deal with as a person uh, for so many reasons. And yeah, McDaniels heard pretty obviously like, oh, the Andrew Luck part that I assumed was going to be involved might not be involved. Uh, I'd rather do literally anything else in that case. And so yeah. he's like, yeah, I'll just 
not stay around here. Sorry about that. So the um, ink's not dry. All right, let's just, yeah. But yeah, Reich taking that job is like, this is a job that is set up to fail. Wait till next year, dude. But yeah, now he's going to get left with the bill. However, it turns out there. And I'm not very optimistic because again, I think, I think Ursay is such a cancer to that whole organization that you would need a uniquely strong coach who can reverse the culture in spite of the owner. And I don't think Reich is that guy. Yeah, probably not. Um, and I don't know for, for me, like my, my sort of just, reaction to it was you know the, the indianapolis just had this bad thing happen to him with the the public you know mess that, that was mcdaniel's withdrawing and then it just felt like it was sort of like a, a generated like well frank reich was the offensive coordinator and do y'all see how the eagles won the super bowl last week mm-hmm. hmm. yeah it's it's peterson's offense and perhaps reich can do the same things similarly well but that was, that it was is wrong what to i wanted to draw yeah, out of you to attribute any of that to reich or john de Filippo, who we'll talk about with the or not probably talk about in this one but um like both of those guys they worked under peterson he might have taught them things they might have been like-minded the whole time and have the same methods all along but you can't say what happened in philadelphia is necessarily because of them yeah and it felt like you know reich became a hot name after the Super Bowl, like, I don't think I remember hearing. Ooh, much. He's been one of those like middle temperature guys for like he's eight like a, years he's now. Like a quarterback coach for for forever. Yeah, it's like, like, how basically, much do you have to coach Philip Rivers. Every time someone gets fired in Houston or Buffalo, people are like, <laughs> "Oh, Frank Reich might be a good. He's a quarterback coach." And this is like ten years ago that this stuff was happening. So yeah. I'm glad he finally got hired, and I'm glad it wasn't you know Buffalo or Houston. Yeah, no, that it, it's, that would have been so annoying. <laughs> it's a fair way to put it. Uh, so. Let's move on from Indianapolis. Uh, let's go over to the Giants. Um, Pat yeah, Shermer. We've already seen Shermer, but what's interesting here is it's like he's got a pretty stocked uh, coordinator group, like Shula. You know, a bit of a failure in Carolina, but also probably overqualified to be an offensive coordinator on a team whose head coach is an offensive coordinator. Shermer also being one. Uh, they got Betcher, I think, from Arizona, who was displaced by the Wilkes hire. Betcher had really good defenses there, so okay. the Giants seem to have a. a talented group of coaches whether the product turns out to be you know good enough i have no idea but it will be better than mcadoo yeah i mean it's hard to get a whole lot worse than you know mr i'm the head of sanitation in this agent decker is basically what he looks like that's that's a tremendous comp actually slightly more competent actually uh, you would think it'd be the other way around but uh, that's just not the kind of show decker is but yeah in any case uh i'm not sure what they're there's probably not much to see changing with the giants like if if Shermer's smart he'll try to make beckham and shepherd emulate what thielen and Diggs did and they have relatively similar skill sets so i think it's a a good approach that that should work just fine beyond that it's a tough division so not much guaranteed for those guys but yeah oakland with john gruden i guess might be the one that we have to listen to the most talk about this offseason given his you know chumminess with the media and uh yeah just i don't know what to think about it at all because like he's he was an offensive coach from the mike holmgren school that had become obsolete when Gruden left the league 10 years ago. And like, yeah, what has, you could tell his offenses were getting stale in Tampa. Yeah. And he was smart enough to say like, Ooh, I don't know how to win anymore. I'm getting out. And like, what changed in those last 10 years? Is he, was he watching from afar, taking notes, scheming the whole time? Or is he just like, oh, I'm bored with this 
commentator thing. I'm going to go coach like I did in 2006. Um, well, he does. He does talk to the quarter to the rookie quarterbacks every year. So I mean, yeah, he knows about. Uh, he's got his finger on the. He's pl- gamed he's with run, Paxton Lynch. Run, yeah. run pass option here. You got a guy to the left, guy to the right. What do you do? Is, oh, that's his accent. I think that's what he sounds like. Oh, oh wow. Um, yeah, I, I guess I haven't heard him talk in a while because uh, if I'm watching a game, I'm definitely not listening to the the commentators. <laughs> but in any case, he hired uh, what's his name, Greg Olson, uh, with an O. Uh, as the offensive coordinator and he was the offensive coordinator there like three years ago i think and it didn't go that well but that was also the terrell Pryor um uh in the first year for Derek carr so uh don't know what to expect from the offense don't know if that guy greg olson is just going to be taking orders from gruden or if gruden's going to be humble in his return and be like guys i might not know how to do this it's been a while um so don't know where that's going i'm not that optimistic is it going to be worse than joe gibbs act two i think it's going to be like the exact same thing like it's games is passing by a little bit yeah i don't think it's going to be as good as parcells uh, two or three however many times he did that um it just it's it's a you know searching for glory that has long since faded probably mm-hmm. but in any case i mean their personnel was better i think than the jack del rio results i'm just not convinced that gruden uh, particularly now that he's you know had his margaritaville tenure layoff here and stepping back into a mark davis operation like j- just might not be enough motivation and and i don't know attention to detail for it to be much different okay i think i mean, that's probably a fair way of looking at it. i personally i enjoy john gruden a lot but again like i i don't know how this 10 years has treated his football brain so what it'll, i think they're going to be like the, most teams like sniff the wild card every once in a while just long enough to do it yeah and you can pull that off the over there i'm more interested in vrabel with the titans if yes. only for the not even the vrabel part of it but the lafleur part of it hiring him as offensive coordinator he was technically Technically, the offensive coordinator for Sean McVay, or maybe it was the quarterback's coach, I can't remember. No, he was the offensive coordinator uh, for McVay, in which case you're like, yes, McVay clearly is the one in charge of this operation. But if LaFleur just is good enough at copying him, he's still way better than most offensive coordinators in the NFL. And it's crucial to hire a guy like LaFleur with Marcus Mariota as the quarterback because they wasted so much time and probably stunted his development a bit mm-hmm. with Malarkey, who's stuck in 1997 or whatever. And now this is going in the opposite direction and Lafleur, you know the, the whole approach of guys like mcveigh and peterson is not so much one of of a philosophy so much as just pragmatism like yeah. they, they're moneyballing the league they looked at what works and what doesn't and they're like let's not do so many of those stupid things that don't work anymore post 1995 and um so they're not committed to anything other than what the defense gives them when you have Mariota, you know you you start to do things that mike malarkey decidedly avoided and if that happens it's like i believe in Mariota fully um i think he's he's had some concerning moments especially in the past year but i think lafleur just for by virtue of not only not being malarkey but not even being you know a Shermer type like it's someone who's clearly invested in this new movement in the nfl i think it can only work for it can only turn out well for Mariota, at least in fantasy like maybe they won't win playoff games but i bet okay. they're gonna put up numbers and do you think that this is this is one of those where year one uh it starts to pay dividends i think so because malarkey really is that bad and like they'll they won't be as good in year one as year two more than likely but year one i mean they they 
can't go down. Like it, no, it that, can only get better. Sure. Mariota had a legitimately bad season and that team was terrible. So it cannot get worse. It, it has to get better just and, by, you know, the dead cat bounce basically. And it'll be interesting to see. And we are, we're going to get into free agency here. We'll, we'll circle back to, to Tennessee on that uh, momentarily. But you know, like uh, with Corey Davis be missing a, a fair bit of the year, but showing some promise there to- towards the end, like kind of, reflecting what we were expecting i'm not worried about him at all exactly so like you know having that type of weapon uh for a full season i think is going to be huge for Mariota too and and again there's a uh, lot of talent there yeah i still believe in taewon taylor fully like johnny smith delaney walker doesn't seem like he's done quite yet but i like johnny smith too decker probably Uh, eric decker's bad yeah richard matthews is good though i think like this this offense is just going to hit the ground running i have no doubt and that's again largely because it just it would anyway yeah just a, a huge dead weight has been lifted yeah malarkey just had to go just just a, just a plague on that team support for this podcast comes from wild turkey kentucky straight bourbon whiskey let's tune in to their one-on-one with jamal a real bartender from old fourth ward in atlanta i really get into the backstory of whatever i'm pouring out of respect there are literally years of experience behind these bottles wild turkey same recipe since 1942 if you want a true classic this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. So with that, um, we're going to dive into the free agency. Yeah, we talked about the coaches. So it's time to talk about all the players, both the ones who we already know but may go someplace different and the ones that you probably haven't heard of at all yet, or at least most of you. Yes. So without further ado, I mean, uh, the the sort of – early landscape of the of the offseason was you know hugely shifted with the with the cousins or not uh the alex smith trade over to washington everyone's still scratching their heads about that but uh one thing that's clear is kirk cousins will not be playing for the redskins this coming season so what's sort of like if you're reading the tea leaves you know following along uh with the with the reports and everything you think it's denver you think it's the jets Uh, it seems like it would be one of either those two or the Vikings even. Um, I hope he doesn't go to the jets for, you know, obvious reasons. They they're on a weird trajectory after firing actually John Morton, their offensive coordinator. And what I have to assume was, retaliation for him screwing up their tanking plan because their <laughs> offense was way better than anyone expected and then they replaced him with this guy who was like out of the league for three years and was only a quarterbacks coach before that including last year and was otherwise only the co- uh, coordinator for the 2010 seahawks who were terrible <laughs> I don't know why why else they would do that. So I hope Kirk Cousins doesn't go there. Uh, I'd rather see him go to a decent team. I used to be a skeptic of Cousins, but after last year with, you know, first he had to depend on Chris Thompson so much, and then when Chris Thompson got hurt, the offense didn't really fall off. It's like he always found new ways to make it work even yeah, made like ryan grant like a real receiver and stuff yeah really really tough conditions he kept making it work somehow even with the you know new rugs being pulled out from under him every single week and so i'm pretty sold on him now i thought last year was very impressive and if he goes to the vikings like they're probably my f- favorite in the conference because i don't think case keenum is that good no i think he was he was much more than you could have asked of him last year but i still think he's capped as like maybe the 
you know 22nd best quarterback in the league kind of thing and his velocity limitations are profound it really gets them into trouble sometimes and makes him dependent on those toss-up plays like it does work like once in a century like that digs play but generally it's not something that, you can build yeah, on i mean you, you you look at that and you juxtapose uh you juxtapose that with the following week when the vikings are in catch-up mode pretty early on against yeah, the eagles exactly. and all and all that the vikings can run is dump offs to, yeah and like to, the guys are getting their heads ripped off because yep. the pass rush they know it's only going to take a second or two before someone gets the ball so it just it i mean like i i i think that case Keenum deserves better than what happened in that in that nfc championship game like it the what he was able to do with that offense for the for the full extent of the year um i think is probably better than what he showed in the, in the nfc title game but it also it also shows that there are some warts there and it shows that he's definitely not going to be a guy that that draws a long multi-year deal uh in the free agency i i think it would have been a mistake for that to happen anyway but uh, i think the nfc title game kind of cleared that up if there were any doubts yeah i don't th- i mean there's always so many teams that do stupid things or, or at least things. maybe to like the vikings like it, maybe i don't the think vikings they're gonna want thought. to i mean even zimmer was week to week not saying like i don't know we might start bradford and it's, i don't think he was saying that to be you know obtuse i think he was saying just like yeah case keenum got us the win last week and uh, i know he can't make you know all these throws that we haven't needed to make in a few weeks but might need to this week i don't want to commit to this because it might not be good enough mm-hmm. and uh i think he might like he'll get overpaid i mean he just kind of deserves it like he deserves more pay than whatever he got he like deserves back pay for for last yeah. year's work uh but he's not i don't think someone you can really build on and i agree that he won't get a ton of attention and a ton of money like i'm expecting it to be like one of those fake money deals where it's like it looks big but they basically are in a position to cut them like after the, one like year the dalton one or something yes yeah, so i don't know i don't know dalton it's just, White. just something where it's like the team can clearly cut them after one year if they feel like it okay um, so yeah let's let's stick in minnesota then for a minute so is this a situation where all three are gone i really don't know because it's like Teddy Bridgewater is, I think, the most interesting, the most originally talented of the group. That's saying that's like some historical revision of revisionism, given that Sam Bradford was a first overall pick in his day. But I'm taking into account his scar tissue, I guess, mm-hmm. when I say that. Um, but then again, Bridgewater's knee injury was uniquely bad in some way, and I, I don't know enough about it to to put values on it. We saw what a knee dislocation looks like with the Zach Miller thing. I don't know if it looked anything like Bridgewater's, but that's pretty <sighs> right. There was like, there was like danger as far as like the vascular, like the, the blood flow in the leg as a result of the injury, I right. think. And that's pretty, doesn't it sounds like they got to it. They got it fixed faster than the Miller one, but it was still a similar danger. Um, so yeah, it's like, I don't know how much the talent with either, bradford or bridgewater even applies with their their respective health limitations and then keenum you can easily imagine getting priced out of their range so yeah i think you could see all three gone but i'm guessing at least one stays and probably bridgewater if only because it's like he's probably really cheap since no one wants to pay him like a starting quarterback and he has some roots there by now at Mm, least and they've kind of stuck by him as much as they've replaced him like they didn't just you know kick him out right away so i think he could stick around but they also need to i think go after cousins because uh the the keenum thing isn't good enough everything else was at peak performance in terms of the defense the receivers even the running game overachieved especially given cook's absence exactly they need cousins and i think if he's there he'd be awesome like point blank like I, i think he's really good uh and unlike the jets unlike the 
Broncos, the Vikings aren't in draft range to get someone through that. So it's like, I feel like they got to go at cousins who don't know if they'll get them, but I, I think it would work out pretty well. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting one. I think that that one probably hasn't, hasn't been talked enough about. It seems like anytime that I, that I look into it a little bit more, it seems like the Broncos, but I feel like the Broncos, if I'm them and let, let's say that cousins does end up in Minnesota, what do they do at five? Because there, there's there's presumably going to be at le- at the very worst, like the third best quarterback available by that point. Yeah, if, if Cousins goes to Minnesota, that's the worst case scenario for guys. I think I think Sam Darnold will be okay either way. But like Josh Allen, I'm still skeptical that he ever was a top ten consideration. But if if uh, Cousins signs with oh sorry if Cousins signs with Minnesota that would be the best case for those guys if he signs with Denver it's the worst because yeah, that that takes away a top ten pick right yeah there. people were talking about you know Cleveland should trade for Alex Smith and then they can still draft you know a guy at first or third or whatever and uh, by the time Smith is on the way down they can go to the rookie well if you sign Cousins he's still going to be good by the time the rookie is ready so you yep. can't really justify doubling up at quarterback in that case so if he goes to the broncos that's really bad news for someone like josh allen maybe even lamar jackson uh who knows but in any case it's like we're expecting josh rose and sam darnold to be the first two picked i think and i personally would take lamar jackson and baker mayfield over them both but i certainly don't expect the nfl to think similarly yeah and uh, yeah well we let's uh let's get more into that i mean i think that just for me rosen right now um he might not have the absolute highest ceiling of these guys, but I think right away, like he can be like a borderline pro bowl type of player, like right off the bat. Like he has that sort of touch. Um, I think he gets, uh, mischaracterized as, um, someone that that's not tough but like he stands in there, he makes the throws. He can, he can use the middle of the field. He's, he's a bit, a bit risk taker, uh, you know, gunslinger with, with some of his throws over the middle, but, um, you know, he's a guy that, that, you know, churned out a lot of production from receivers that, you know, there's probably only going to be one that he played with that ends up being anything yeah. uh, at the NFL level. Um, no He's run the consen- game to speak of. Yeah, I think I think it's safe to say Rosen is the consensus top quarterback and the one that I would guess is picked first. Yeah. Um, I think that Baker Mayfield is the most naturally talented passer in the in the class. I would guess most people would give Rosen that title and then the ones who don't might still rationalize Rosen as the better prospect because he's not six feet flat. He's six foot four to 20, whereas Mayfield's probably going to be like six foot two ten his whole career. Yep. Um, I don't really care about that stuff, but the NFL certainly will. Uh, so yeah, I think Rosen basically qualifies as the best natural passer among prototype sort of options in the class. And Darnold has the tools to maybe, get to the same sum but he's more raw needs more refining to do it and is probably relies more on unconventional means than rosen which understandably makes coaches nervous you don't want to bet on something that might basically be an aberration so when donald does his wacky stuff to make big plays he makes it happen but like you said like you might prefer the guy who gets the boring slant on the same play instead yeah seriously and and the thing about Darnold really is that, you know, if we if we were talking this time last year and then looking at the quarterback class from last year, we probably would be building an argument that the Darnold was the best uh, of anyone that would have been. Yeah, I think he would have been. I think he would have. There was a, there would have been a good chance he would have been the first overall pick if it weren't for the NFL's labor rules. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this year he comes back and it's just 
there's a lot of warts to his game. And I think one of the things that's going to be one of the huge storylines is get, you're going to be annoyed by it. If you're listening to this podcast now, you're going to be extremely annoyed by this narrative by the time the end of the month rolls around with like, oh, he fumbled, you know, 10 times last year. We're going to need to see the hand size. Like that's going to become a thing that's going to factor into cold weather teams and whether they consider him a little bit. Yeah. And that's fair. I have no idea what his hands are supposed to measure as. And I honestly haven't gotten far enough into quarterback tape, at least with Darnold to really get a suspicion there, but he's got a wonky delivery too. I will say yeah, he that. has that. I'm not so worried about it. I understand the anxiety about it, but it's like, it's not left, which does it doesn't look any weirder than like Philip rivers has ever did. And, mm-hmm. um, I th- he's got like the arm velocity. Like it's, and he does, it's even people killed him for that Ohio state game. But if you watch that, like he was dropping some serious dimes down oh, the yeah. sideline, like towards the end of that game on guys like Denzel Ward and stuff. So, I mean, like I, I think people kind of can, underestimate his arm strength a little bit i think more than i think he's got, he's got pretty much a cannon doesn't he like his arm always looked really impressive it, when i watched it's, it's good I think, yeah i think it's better than some people are it's saying. not like his weird throwing motion is to generate this artificial velocity it's like the velocity is there naturally he just doesn't look quite the same as other people when he throws it and it's not a timing issue it's not like a huge windup like it, it's not even a wind-up like Kaepernick's, let alone one like Tebow or something like sure. that. So I, I'm not personally Let's frightened by that. that. But I guess the I guess its issues could come in with like a, he has a problematic footwork aspect that if they change might not be super compatible with how he plants for throwing something like that. Yeah, I guess people that'll tag him for throwing off his back foot. If so yeah, maybe that'll come up in the pre-draft evaluation process. But I I would guess after Rosen that Darnold's combination of size and athleticism and arm strength and. Uh, like winning ability basically and it's it's also worth remembering like a he's still pretty young and b he declined this year which which coincided with juju smith schuster leaving the offense so it's it's easy enough to imagine like if smith schuster at 20 years old had been playing for usc this year instead of the nfl that darnold's numbers wouldn't have even looked different yeah i mean we, we could have seen a situation not completely unlike dd westbrook and baker mayfield from from last year like both being like top five heisman considerations yeah and i love mayfield by the way and i think he'll be like a, a top 10 pick certainly no worse than top 15 but yeah he he had an amazing last two years and i was initially skeptical of him but i'm in on him and lamar jackson uh written a lot about him uh, on the site lately and i think he's not going to be appreciated by most coaches but if the ones that do see how he can work have any brains they're going to want to get him on their team because the stuff about him playing wide receiver is just garbage and everyone who said it is going to be embarrassed to the point that they'll deny having ever said it not a year or two from now more like in a couple months like they're they're going to have all these people renouncing their stupid Lamar Jackson takes and and it's not even going to take long because it is just preposterous what these people have been saying about him like he's not as accurate as these other guys he can't fit in an I formation like North Turner offense but he can work for guys like McVeigh and Peterson and they're the ones who are going to own the league so there you go I mean it, it yeah it's as simple as that I mean like the the stuff that he can do uh, at his when he's good is unlike any anything that anyone else can do I mean uh, there's a there's a cut up last night of his game against uh, North Carolina uh, from this year uh, standing at his own 20 free blitzer comes in shakes the blitzer in, in a way that no one else in the NFL probably could except maybe like a Russell Wilson or something and then uh, launches one with, with um, you know if you want to get into throwing and pure passing stuff like Jackson might have the best arm in this class and like it, he does it yeah. with a flick of the wrist but just like Michael Vick he has a super low effort delivery yeah. but unprecedented distance and velocity to, like, he doesn't need to like step which 
you know, like it, it might not be like the, it looks like he's laying up the ball when yeah. he throws it and it just chucks out like a cannonball. Yeah, hit like Jalen Smith on the, on the play I'm talking about, you know, like probably 50, 55 yards, maybe even 60 yards in the air uh, with, you know, with running room, hit him in stride. Uh, and then Smith just kind of saunters in for the touchdown. There. Basically so, all of ridiculous. Lamar Jackson's game tape is just filled with stupid plays. Yeah. I, I honestly think like the degree to which he has just made a mockery out of everything in college football is part of why people are just like dismissing him. They're just desensitized to the absurdity of his play that they're, I guess it's kind of understandable. Are they the, the attaching temp- like the video game numbers skepticism that they would to like a, you know, like a Graham Harrell or Cole I don't Brennan think it's that. It's I think different games. I, but like, it's, it's a couple things. It's like, they see how successful he is as a runner, the magnitude of it. And they say like, Oh, he's run dependent. You're like, no, he's still as pass dependent as your other quarterback. He just takes more of a running burden than them. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not doing Pat white things like throwing 1800 yards a year running for 1800 yards. He's running for, you know, 16, hundred yards a year and throwing for 3,700. Yep. It's like he's doing both. He's not dependent. You can say he's, he's prolific as a runner. You cannot say he's dependent. It's stupid. You can't say it. So yeah, he's, he's just doing all these things that look borderline impossible. And I guess it's like some people's responses to say, well, that's because it is impossible. And I'm thinking, no, it's probably not. Right. So I guess with that, what's like your ideal landing spot for him and and would it be a place where he's thrust into starting right away and i, I know that's a loaded question because starting right away Even deshaun and, watson didn't do it and it's like in hindsight he clearly deserved it yeah i mean that that was one that we you and i both saw through the through that pretty quickly that that watson of the of the picks for, from the first round last year that he had the clearest path out of any of them. Yeah. I, I uh, didn't expect him to be that good to be fair. No, that, but, was, that was yeah. absurd. Yeah. But I do think Lamar Jackson presents the same dangers to the NFL. It's like he kills you repeatedly deep because if you don't put your safeties up to stop, give contain help, first of all, like you're not going to contain them with your defensive line. You need at least one spy. Is it going to be your linebacker? Is it going to be your safeties? If it's the linebacker, he's probably just going to outrun him. If it's your safeties, you're not helping your deep threats where Lamar can get, you know, six, yards downfield in two seconds if he feels like it so mm-hmm. i feel like he's just going to kill people deep over and over and he might have some cold stretches as a passer because i don't think he's that good at short and intermediate routes no but the way you can use his athleticism especially off of play action to stress the defense in different directions you can spread them thin and then he just tears through them every time so i really like his chances as long as he doesn't have an idiot coach and as far as that goes admittedly it is a bit bleak finding a landing spot that seems favorable for him because it's like I would rather I would want him to play for teams that basically already have quarterbacks. I want him to play for the Rams and the Eagles and uh, even someone like Belichick or something like that. But uh, yeah, we'll see what his combine measurements are. I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't have if, if he has you know like not huge hands and that might raise valid weather concerns. But maybe a good spot would be fifteen Arizona. But I can also imagine them taking ba- Baker Mayfield over him, and I wouldn't even really be able to blame them to sure or blame them for it. Uh, but yeah, fifteen might work with. Arizona having the dome there would be nice for him bring bring out his speed and downfield passing that much more uh, but after that it's like I think Baltimore makes sense if they don't worry about the weather aspect uh, the Chargers at 17 somebody like that um, and I, th- I do think that it could be a Dak Prescott thing too we're not that is any falls to the fourth round but like he just ends up somewhere eventually and the team gets to or, or Russell Wilson would be the better comparison actually like you get to 
training camp and they just realize right away like oh he's our best player he's the yeah. best player on in, in our entire team and then they like just at that point kick out some presumed stopgap guy who they're like yeah never mind we don't need you so this hasn't even happened yet but case keenum you're getting benched for yeah Lamar jackson yeah Sorry, exactly dude. something like that <laughs> maybe even joe flacco john <laughs> oh <that'd> yeah. amazing <laughs> yeah so probably not but that, that's what i basically see happening there and after those guys as far as the rookie quarterbacks go um I should mention, first of all, John and, and I did a uh, three-round dynasty rookie mock drafts uh, for a 12-team league. So there was 36 picks, and we both did three honorable mentions, I believe, where yes. we talked about their dynasty value going forward and how you how we would probably pick in that scenario that we did at the time, which was a uh, day before the Senior Bowl. Um, I also put up my own dynasty rankings uh, in the football section that goes pretty deep, and we, we talk about these things in our respective analyses for, for these entries that we've listed in these two articles if you want to read up more about the rookies but yeah at quarterback otherwise I, I don't have any interest in josh allen and mason rudolph might do something but he's probably not going to be more than like a mark boulder kind of quarterback or something like that yeah i think i think we could see um i'm more interested in lauletta than allen and i don't even know anything about lauletta <laughs> he was he was a, a boss at the uh, at the senior bowl right. so, i mean he, he's definitely vaulted himself in a draftable uh consideration he could do that point. john beck thing where like he goes and you know 36th overall and everyone wonders like how did that happen <laughs> it's just like like after the all right so i think you and i are decidedly that like there are four uh like surefire like first round and also good quality starters in this draft you know josh allen the, the opinions again will, will vacillate but like after them people try to make like mike white from western kentucky nope. a thing a kirk ben kurt from virginia maybe um, i would say ben kurt maybe more than white but white was like run out of south florida after being terrible there and he he uh, barely got a starting he didn't actually have a starting role last year it was like they were doing a rotation with tyler ferguson and somebody else and uh that's bad when you can't win a starting job at western kentucky basically yeah it was it wasn't good and and you know to to say that ben kurt is better isn't necessarily to say that ben kurt is good because he he certainly has his warts too and that they they kind of showed he got run out of eastern carolina yeah which is incredible actually um much more interesting position in the draft is the running backs there we go. who uh, coincide with a probably not so interesting group of free agents although there's a couple interesting guys i mean i'm assuming Lavian bell's just not going to be among them technically as he might be at the moment uh so you go straight to carlos hyde basically is the most interesting free agent and it seems like the 49ers don't want him like maybe they changed their mind in the last year like but that. before the season they were like we gotta get rid of this guy um let's start off joe williams anybody just get rid of carlos hyde See, and where are is it like where they're drafting right now i mean this could change they, they could be smart and trade back again uh you know come april but where they're drafting right now you know the nine ten range um do they go for a running back right there and and let hyde walk i don't think so i mean it's pro- running back would have generally don't want to let hyde walk at that point yeah you generally don't want to spend um that kind of stuff in my opinion on a running back these days unless it's saquon and saquon could fall that far i guess it wouldn't be that shocking i mean saquon falling to uh where where do they pick i'm trying to pull this up here um it's going to be nine or ten i guess so yeah saquon could fall there i mean saquon falling to nine is much less weird than mark or marshawn Lattimore falling to nine so who knows uh but yeah I'd, i would think they just want someone who can catch passes pretty well because hyde took a lot of targets last year and wasn't particularly efficient with any of them 
I uh, think McNichols could pick that up next year and basically kick Breida out of the picture, but they do want someone who can give some power and uh, be it someone like Royce and, you know, the second, third round or Barkley at nine or 10, I guess that would work, but I would expect probably some dumber team basically to take Barkley in the, in the top eight, something like that. I think the, the, the sort of mainstream consensus right now is Barkley ends up being one of Cleveland's first two picks. I guess, I mean that I do think they're, they're new, guard is very stupid and i think that would be a stupid thing to do as much as i think barkley is a totally awesome player so yeah josh allen at one barkley at four let's go oh my gosh that'd, that'd be something it won't happen the, not- the, the allen thing is not happening i keep trying to laugh about it because it's so stupid but it's not happening i hope it does but it won't <laughs> but i mean yeah like you said um allen- if, i will say if the browns hire ben mcadoo as offensive coordinator who do they oh no they already got Haley. it can't work Dang it. if it had happened then McAdoo would have been like pounding the table for allen and it would have been amazing no but, question that would be but, something but yeah in any case it's like barkley's the guy he's the, he's the, he's so good as a prospect that we might be talking about him as like an early second round pick in 12 team leagues for nfl if he goes to a place where they're where they commit to him as the workhorse like i, I can see like i feel like no matter where he lands I, I would be more comfortable taking Barkley this year than I was taking Fournette last year at where he was going ADP-wise. Yeah, he's definitely the better player than Fournette, I think. And it's it's actually very timely and useful that Todd Gurley had the season he had because this is going to become an obnoxious cliche probably, but Barkley really is a lot like him in the sense that they're both, you know, 230 pound guys who, uh, we don't know what, yeah, we don't know what Gurley would have run in the 40, but I'm guessing in the four fours and Barkley might be in the four threes. Like he actually seems to have an identical skill set to, to, Gurley, but might be even more athletic and uh, he might not have the greatest vision out of the backfield but he's just so uniquely lethal in open space and he's so good at getting to the open space like and he's so good as a pass catcher too which which all of that feeds into the other uh just a lot of explosiveness there's there's a lot of big plays that are going to happen with him yeah it's he's really just kind of an unbelievable guy to watch and he's someone that uh, you know you and i've 2015 uh rainy saturday penn state versus buffalo in september and penn state had no running backs to speak of that anyone knew of to that point they, they let barkley in garbage time and he just runs all over buffalo it's like wait a second like they might actually have their running back of the future and turned out uh you know we we're brain geniuses yeah, you were you were on him first. I was I was like a Keel Lynch. This is the year. Um, <laughs> Bill Belton's gone. Yeah, no, Bill Belton too. Yes, <laughs> uh, but uh, in any case, we got not many other names among the free agents. It's like Jarek McKinnon. He's fast. He can catch. He can't do anything he else. Can't be the fr- he he's he. I saw a quote from him, kind of seeking out to be the starter wherever he lands mm-hmm. next. It's just There's like, no demand. I don't, I don't see that happening there's no demand there's no openings he'd need like a 40 team league to get a starting job i think and he's good at what he does but he is quite limited he has no leg drive at all like he's he can catch he can run he's quick you think like seattle would go get him or or oakland i think someone will sign him and seattle would make sense because he's a workout warrior and they do like the guys with great uh workout metrics but yeah he's going to be basically a a 30 percent snap guy i think um similarly i feel about Dion lewis and rex burkhead like they had good years for the patriots and i thought we already did this with Dion lewis where everybody's like oh he's really gonna be a star in this belichick offense and 
I know he got hurt the other time, but he's, there's been a plenty of time in between those events where he hasn't done much and not for, you know, and not for a great deal of competition on the depth chart ahead mm-hmm. of him. So I think he is clearly just uniquely well suited to the new England yeah, he's, offense. He's at his best up in Foxborough. Like, yeah. He's not as used somewhere else. He's not going to be as not good. as half as useful as for anybody else. But um, I think that for that reason, both he and Burkhead will be back in new England because there's no demand for the scraps of that offense. I mean, some stupid team might fall for it, but I don't know. I'm not expecting a whole lot for them or Isaiah Kroll or Damian Williams. And yet those are like the biggest names on this list that we got. Yeah. It's, it, it really uh, thins out and it's, it's pretty, you know, scant to begin with, like we said, with, with, with Hyde being like kind of the clear cut, one that that is going to be going to eventually hit uh, free agency and it's the worst timing for those free agent running backs too because the class is so good besides Barkley like Nick Chubb before he tore up his knee three years ago it was like we were thinking like this guy is the next huge deal running back and Barkley came along and took that distinction but I don't think it's by much and I'm not even really willing to concede that he's definitely uh, better than Chubb who has he, he wasn't himself his first year back still quite good still like a fourth round pick his first year back uh came back this year and now he's looking like a first round pick clearly made a lot of progress and uh we've got some people doing gps readings on him uh i can't remember what the setting was but uh, basically it looks like he might run a 40 yard dash below the four five zero mark uh if, if he runs a four four five at like five nine and a half to twenty five I don't understand how he falls out of the first round and it seems like it's something he could do. And then there's the whole matter of is his kind of backup Sony Michelle better than him despite all that. And I'm agnostic on that. I'm generally team Chubb, but it's like, I feel like with those two Darius guys, we're talking about guys who are in such a talented category of running ability that it's like, they're all going to be really good. Yeah, it's just a matter of pre- a matter of preference for for what your offense is or whatever. Because yeah, all three of those guys can definitely play. Guys kind of like runs a little bit wild in my opinion, and, yeah. and sometimes like he just he just runs himself into trouble a fair bit. And I, I know Barkley, like the people that. Um, and it happens with with pretty much any prospect, especially one that that is sort of ironclad. Like okay, Barkley comes into the year as number one we get a little bit tired of it around this time. So we start trying to poke some holes a little bit and like Barkley, um, I think that you showed me some cut-ups of him where he just doesn't take where, uh, what the defense is giving him sometimes, and he tries to do too much. Geis is also really, really guilty of that a lot of the time, whereas uh, I don't know if it's just by virtue of being seniors, but Michelle and Chubb seem to be a little more patient and, and try to try to like find the see the hole and just go ahead and hit it there, there's a lot less like dancing tomfoolery going on yeah Chubb especially that was one thing that was unique about him and one thing that is in his favor that Barkley doesn't have in his is that Chubb was always just he could close his eyes or run blindfolded between the tackles like he just can do it and he probably doesn't have to think about it he probably couldn't tell you after he does it how he did it it's just easy for him uh yeah guys it's like he he kind of gets away from the defense by getting the defense to chase him and then he runs away from it rather than kind of like just cutting through it um but yeah he's really great at it um there might be some kind of like david wilson risk and you know the sense that he's like a just super athletic super hard to catch guy who yeah might not give you production quite 
proportionate to his you know raw talent but he was super productive those first two years at lsu and then last year game record at lsu which is a hard it's a hard school to do that at yeah and last year he was playing nicked up at a few points when he dropped down to you know five yards of carry or whatever like before he was at like almost eight yeah and yeah his freshman year he was i think he had like 81 carries and he was averaging like almost nine carries ridiculous but yeah he might not do a whole lot as a pass catcher like daryl williams took a lot of that pass catching work in that backfield and did more on a turp per target basis than Geist did so like maybe his maybe Geist's projection in the NFL is more like a one of those guys who runs for tons of yardage but doesn't catch a whole lot someone like D'Angelo Williams but if he is limited Ooh, to that I like that I, but if he is limited to that I would say Geist is still going to be like 110 percent of the pure runner like instead of having a you know 1400 yards he's going to have 1600 yards in that year basically or with yeah if, like, if, say like their carries were equal or something yeah and he'll i mean he's he's gonna have a lot of big plays as a runner if he gets some volume with carries like he's gonna have some huge games right because he is he is like we were saying just just uh, kind of a freak show athletically so it'll be interesting to see kind of how it all shakes out i think the combine will kind of settle some of those scores between that between that second tier I think we both assume that Barkley's first running back off the board. So I think those next three guys, is there like a fourth one that you think also kind of, kind of floats in with them? I think it's, well, you like pointed out Ronald Jones and I think he actually could be the second running back he's selected. Up a lot of steam right now. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where he could be the second running back selected in the real draft, but I would still kind of put him at a worse fantasy projection than workhorse candidates like Chubb and Michelle and uh, Geis. I think you could even argue that Rashad Penny and Royce Freeman should be ahead of him for fantasy, even though they probably are going to go like a round or two later than him. Uh, but Jones, it's just one of those things where it's like the guy is about six foot 200. We know he's extremely fast. He can kill defenses and, and single plays by just, uh, you know, outrunning the angle basically. And it, the question is how much can he hold up with at 200 pounds? Because if he, if he gains weight, he's negating some of that speed that makes him so unique in the first place. So it's like, is this role where he's probably limited to about 12 touch 12 carries per game? Is it worth spending the first round pick to you? And I think for some team it will be, um, it's just the might be one of those things where it's like, he's a, you know, a player more feared than productive, I guess. Okay. That's in, a, in a volume sense, I think he'll be super explosive and efficient. That's it. That's an interesting way of putting it. And you know what I'm trying to think of, of what's interesting about him is like, uh, you know, USC was kind of dumb with his usage the first two years, but it, I think it kind of plays to his favor a little bit. But at the same time, we don't fully know what like serious workhorse numbers look like for him or like what it really turns out to be. Because, I mean, USC, they gave him the most carries this year, obviously. But before that, was it... Um, like trey madden yeah they were rotating with guys like him and justin davis yeah, guy, i want to say yeah guys that just weren't as good but like, like isaac cle- or something gosh yeah so so jones was clearly the best running back uh there and like this was finally the year for him to show it out and uh t martin was running a very traditional offense there like a lot of you know not spread out basically and yeah. i think if jones were used properly it'd be more like um I guess I don't know how, how what the better offense would be, but just something that kind of gets him in space more often, uh, not so much running between the tackles, more getting him in screen opportunities, things like that. Maybe, and, maybe like a like an like, Oklahoma offense, where I yeah, mean, they, some, they use like honestly, Rodney it's like Anderson. almost anything nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> like T. Martin's back in two thousand two or something like that. 
but uh, yeah, in any case, I think Jones might do something like run a four, three flat and uh, get into the first round that way. But I mean, there's, there's so many other good running backs too, like Rashad Penny and Royce Freeman, like I mentioned, could be workhorse guys more than Jones. Cause they're over two twenty. Uh, Royce could be pushing like two forty, and it's all easy good weight yes. like and i think he's been that build since he was like 17 so yeah. it's like he he's i think a better athlete than people are ready for like he showed up as a true freshman and almost immediately kicked out byron marshall and thomas tyner from the offense and like marshall was coming off like a 1200 yard year tyner, tyner was, was like, like a borderline five-star recruit yeah, the first um, from the state of oregon i think yeah and then freeman came in and they were just immediately built the offense around him and it's like maybe he's not going to run like a four four five or something like he almost certainly won't but uh uh, even if he only runs like a four six or something like that in the 40 Freeman is a guy who has been so good and was so good so early that it's hard to explain his success if he doesn't have some kind of unique athleticism like maybe he's an elite athlete in the way that Lavian Bell is even if he's not uh, you know going to be out running defenses or something like that and Royce caught the ball well so I think he's really really good and probably overlooked which it's understandable because there's, there's only so many running backs you can keep track of in this class and mm-hmm. Penny falls victim to the same thing like he was insane at, at uh, San Diego State much better than Donnell Pumphrey uh, he finished his career with seven and a half yards a carry uh, five kick returns for touchdowns just incredibly explosive production for a guy who's over 220 pounds so it's you watch him on film and it's kind of like Royce like he doesn't look that fast but how does he keep doing this if he's not something you know like if he if he's not quicker than we think if he's not more explosive or faster than he just looks on tape like how is any of this happening it doesn't make any sense and he lit up the senior bowl too so it wasn't just like a competition thing he, he ran all over stanford etc cetera, etc cetera. so i believe in rashad penny totally uh, i like him and royce quite a lot as dynasty picks because i think they could have like three down skill sets and uh, otherwise i guess we're mostly looking at guys like josh adams and like the fourth round range and nyheim hines i'm probably saying his name wrong uh he's he could be like the other ronald jones in the class because he's he's a track guy who might run in the four threes and uh he can catch the he has more of a pass catching history than jones actually yes he does uh so so there i mean like to the extent where naeem hines like i didn't know for sure and and unc or nc state wasn't coming out and saying it uh like declaratively that that Hines was going to stick as as their number one running back because you know they had to replace Matt Days and it, it wasn't sure if it was going to be Reggie Gillespie or if it was going to be Hines uh they, they ended up both getting well over 100 carries Hines really impressive though uh this year he was always a guy to me that uh, he was probably the best recruit than a, that an NC State can possibly pull in and over the first couple of years you see him and you see the talent occasionally but you see so many boneheaded like mistakes that he was making I was worried he was another like Taquan Mizell for a moment there but it oh, turns boy. out like he actually yeah he has the wheels though yeah like, he really slow. does um so yeah I, I see I see him being in that same range as Jones I, I still think Jones would be my odds on favorite to be the fastest 40 among the running backs probably could be yeah, I don't know but yeah it seems like they'll both be in the four threes yeah. uh, something like yeah. that I guess circling back just Hines like he's fine he's he's a little bit smaller than Jones I think he's probably closer to like a five nine um 200 pounds or something so I guess that technically makes him a little bit more more like dense uh, like BMI wise um, but there, there's stuff to like about Hines but he is sort of Ronald Jones light Jones is the better player I don't think yeah. there's any question about that but yeah I'm, I'm gonna take the liberty of skipping receivers going to tight ends because of 
incidentally another running back perhaps uh jalen samuels we don't know where he's going to play it's either going to be running back or tight end i thought he was educate the people please yeah i thought he was going to be more like an nfl novelty who was a more interesting college player than a productive pro one but he apparently lit up the senior bowl and it's like he's going to be at risk of running a four seven or something like that at about 225 pounds but he must be quick or something it might he might have that kind of uh, royce freeman athleticism again because it's like when he runs routes he keeps getting open against these linebackers and even apparently some safeties so he played tight end and running back at north carolina state and slot receiver and yep. probably regular receiver too uh he catches the ball he keeps getting open he seems to run well after the catch we don't really know how any of it happens and we also don't even know what position he plays but in fact fantasy and dynasty leagues you might want to try to sneak him onto your team if he has a tight end classification because he might basically be a tight end in the nfl who gets carries yeah which is and that's never happened yeah so it's 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 just he might be like larry centers with tight end eligibility which would be crazy (laughs) that's Um, nuts i love that Um, yeah larry centers had like 90 catches a couple years back in the in the 90s uh for i don't know buffalo and arizona or something like that yeah yeah. um but yeah so that working out as a tight end at the at the combine after after doing running back stuff yeah they the listed him as a running back at the senior bowl now he's listed as a tight end who knows how this turns out but the other tight ends are boring it's like there's mark andrews there's dallas godert from uh was it south dakota, state. south dakota state those two guys might be in the first round conversation after them there's not really much and among the tight end free agents it's like jimmy graham austin safari jenkins cameron brait they're all okay i guess i'm more interested in trey burton from philadelphia who can really run really run after the catch could be exactly what jordan reed has been and he has basically no health concerns yeah by heavy contrasts and philadelphia showed him off a little bit this year i bet he gets them a nice compensatory pick uh but to close things off with the wide receivers now that's there's more to work with with the free agents there sammy Watkins, who it sounds like the rams are going to try to bring him back because that would make sense i don't know how that result of last year happens without the simple explanation that he got in you know late in training camp and they couldn't put together the plan for it uh he's awesome he's a great talent i'm still fully convinced of that alan robinson might have more defenders these days even with that acl i figure he'll be a hot consideration for the 49ers if they're going to spend some wide receiver money otherwise you would think yeah you would think the jaguars are going to really try to keep him though because i I don't know why they wouldn't um jarvis landry is another big name amongst especially like casual media but anybody is the baltimore tree a lot of people are are oh man that would be bad i don't know because he's he's not that good is the thing like he's good but he's not going to be nearly as useful as this price tag and his production in miami i mean i'm sorry it's just been inflated by a you know you, you, a yieldless you scheme see, yeah you never see yards per catch that low for for a receiver yeah like that's a receiver who you get those catches and targets that landry does if an offense is not scoring points like there's no other way it that's happens a perfect fit there's not enough targets to go to that volume if they're scoring points ever so yeah, yeah but he's a good slot receiver it's just that he's a good slot receiver and there are a lot of those they're easy it's a it's an easy one it's a low bar to be a useful slot receiver in the nfl that's why you don't need that's why you don't put your best athletes at the slot you put them outside where their skills might actually have some scarcity uh slot receivers aren't scarce so i don't like landry i think he's gonna tank whatever offense signs him and i think it'll be a bad team that does sign him 
much rather would have Dante Moncrief or Terrell Pryor. Yeah, there, uh, there's there's some stuff. There's you know some stuff left in the tank for those guys, and, and there, there's cheap. way more athleticism than, than like a Landry too. Yeah, Moncrief is pretty interesting for Dynasty Bilo because 24? yeah, he's 24, and it's one of those obvious cases I think where everyone expected the final product two years too soon. Um, he's going to be really cheap now, and you know can't get worse than last year. Um, and also, I think Albert Wilson, Marquise Lee, kind of interesting. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of uh, you know Paul Richardson or somebody like that. I've seen some linkage of uh, of Albert Wilson maybe following uh, the Nagy over to. Oh, that would be good. That would make sense. Yeah, I didn't realize how how good his workout numbers were. I only knew him as the Georgia State guy for before Penny Hart was the Georgia State guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's been pretty productive on a per target basis, and he he was certainly good in college. So that'll be interesting to watch. He'd be yeah. a good sleeper in an. Tempo offense. And then another guy, like you mentioned, um, I thought Marquise Lee, I was a huge doubter of his coming into this year. I thought he played a lot better than I was expecting. I, 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 I don't have like super high expectations of him, he's but okay. I think he could be like a totally functional wide receiver too. I thought he was like going to be a bust basically. Yeah, he's okay. That's about it. So I think he'll probably be overpaid wherever he is, but uh, yeah, he's, he's all right. Whatever. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> you know. he's, a, he's no Calvin Ridley or James Washington, but he might be okay nonetheless. Uh, okay. So but yeah, th- those two, I, th- I, I would say Christian Kirk from A&M is also in the race to be the first receiver picked, but it's all coming down to the combine. Basically, if, if Ridley doesn't put that like sub or low four, four, at least ideally sub four, four kind of speed, if Washington runs like a four, five, five or something like that, if both of those things go poorly for those two, then I do think Kirk could leapfrog them because I don't think he's going to hurt himself here. Like he's been a possession receiver in college doing 12.2 yards per catch. But then you look at his punt return stats and it's like, okay, he's outrunning somebody at least. Yes. Uh, I mean, you also look at the tape and it's, it's crazy. Like how, how shifty he can be in the open field and his vision. Like he's just really smart football player. And as far as his hands go, they're, they're extremely reliable. So yeah, I think it, like you said, if, if the bottom drops out, as far as those workout numbers go for, for Ridley or Washington, which one, if you had to guess, like flip a coin or not flip a coin, but just who would you be less surprised uh, by messing up at the combine, a Ridley or a Washington? I'd be less surprised by Washington, I think, because he's been super explosive production wise, but also playing in the Big 12, playing in that Oklahoma State offense. He's got a much bigger field to work with. It's like comparing a CFL receiver to an NFL one Mm -hmm. when you talk about Washington versus Calvin Ridley and in terms of their their context that they had to play within. So it wouldn't be shocking if Washington was super explosive in college, even if he like we remember Leonte Carew. He didn't have Leonte Carew. Yeah, I still think he's probably good, but it's like I think that's the worst case scenario for uh, like Washington's eventual outcome. And I do mean the far worst because I, I think he's going to be a good player. It's just like he might have been a really great downfield college receiver with like four five five speed because he's good at those other things like route running, you know, positioning and, you know, how to, how to bring your shoulder through against the guy covering you on this yeah. type of route and stuff like that, that, um, you know, makes the skill set bigger than like the athletic tools basically. Whereas with Ridley, it's like, he just looks really, he looks like, you know, a fast and quick guy in SEC settings all the time. So it's just like, that would be surprising if it turned out he was actually, you know, not fast and not quick. Yeah, that, that really would be, I mean, he's a guy that, um, you know, not, not just with, with his, I think he's 
his route running is as crisp as anyone else's in this class and also uh he's got an ability to to run after the catch and to into like generate separation late in his route like right when he needs to uh that's pretty impressive so i think like on field smarts is one of those things that i think gets a little bit underrated and i think ridley has that in in a huge amount as well and then the race to be if if there's someone who's going to close in on those three is probably Cortland sutton i would guess but more realistically Cortland sutton the big receiver from smu he's gonna screw himself i i don't know we'll see i I have no idea how to tell 40 time with some of these guys and he's another one where it's i don't i don't i can't look at the tape of alshon jeffrey and Dwayne jarrett and really even tell you who's faster until we get to the combine okay yeah but uh sutton if he runs but if he runs a six a four six flat or better i think he's locked into the top 45 if he runs like a four six five he probably falls into the third round if he runs a four five five what how is he not better than mike williams in that case so it's like there's a wide range of outcomes resting on his work at the combine it could go very well for him or very badly i think and it's like the margin isn't that big from that or the other he was super productive in college um but yeah i think he's probably the favorite to be the fourth receiver selected if he isn't it might be dj Moore from maryland who's who's got a lot of he's got a lot of uh favorable coverage right now among the public and understandably so he does good in highlights because he breaks tackles runs past people after the catch Makes stuff really like impressive that. end zone catches too i mean like yeah some of the stuff against indiana i want to say like it was ri- like kind of ridiculous circus catches against against you know a decent big 10 off their defense but he also just had no quarterback play to speak of his basically his entire time in Maryland from from the from 2015 on and this year uh, Maryland's first two quarterbacks tore their ACLs in the first three weeks of the season and so he had this guy this jokester Max Bortenschlager as his quarterback for you know the majority of this season and more still put up I think he led the Big Ten in receiving even with that uh, kind of dead weight he had over half of Maryland's receiving yardage which could be from the coach just saying like to Bortenschlager like just throw it to more right away or it could be because more was just the only one capable of basically working with that quarterback we'll find out i mean i think my suspicion is he's pretty good but uh, the combine is pretty important for him it's important for all these guys but uh, if more is slow it's hard to see his impact as an after the catch you know separator um it would basically reduce him to like slot type work which he could still be good at it's just like now you're not taking him in round two yeah that probably i mean that that might fit him more uh in in the end anyway i mean considering that more is you know f- listed at 511 so maybe he's, he's checking in a little bit closer to 510 that's a little bit tough to work uh work with on the outside uh any other last thoughts before we yeah the other day two guys we got to keep a close eye on among the receivers there's equinemius st brown from notre dame had a down year coinciding with injury and a new quarterback he might be like a tyrell williams type but he needs to run well uh, there's dj chark who had the big game at the senior bowl he's really interesting dante pettis the punt returner from washington uh james washington's teammate marcel adaman oklahoma state big body like Cortland sutton and the reason you don't sign jarvis landry for a billion dollars as a free agent is because you can get a guy like trey quinn out of smu probably in like the third or fourth round but guys like that trey Quan smith from ucf cedric wilson from boise state michael gallup from colorado state jordan lastly from ucla i think those are the ones we're watching after the top four yeah, that we the, previously mentioned yeah. and those are those are all combine guys i'm pretty sure and then one guy that didn't get a combine invite that i thought kind of deserved him was doris fountain he's like the chad williams of this draft okay. i think like i still think he's a good bet to go in the third or fourth round because 
the intel on him is he's supposed to test well at his pro day. Okay, so, so there we go. So uh, he's, he's a guy that'll be missing from Indy, but a guy to, again, like stash in the back of your head. And, like, and we'll go deeper at that point, for yes, sure. we absolutely will. So yeah, this one was more of just kind of a house cleaning to to get the make some sense of what's happened to this point in the offseason. Get our but, schedule started. But we'll, uh, we'll be getting more in-depth at breaking down these draft prospects as these podcasts continue every single Wednesday here at Rotowire for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie, and we will talk to you guys next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.